You're listening to Hungry Gen Audio Podcast. And today I'm going to finish the, the series on answer the call. Before I read the verse, I want to encourage also one more thing is uh, for each one of you, if you enjoy the preaching in this church, if you're watching us and you enjoy the preaching, that you take a moment and do us a favor. Give us something in return. It's not money. It's not anything. That you go on iTunes when you are free. Go to the bathroom. Maybe during this message, if you ever get disconnected, you need to get reconnected. Just go on iTunes. It'll take you 30 seconds. That you rate the podcast. It will cause things to go further and more people to hear about Jesus. We live in a world today, you don't have to have money to be influential. You can be in the basement of your parents' house. If people can rate your stuff, literally you end up on the top and people can see that those things. And we believe that the influence of the kingdom of God through Trace Cities is not going to be limited by the population in a city. But by the grace of God on the local church. And we are that local church. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, that was a weak laugh. <laughs> I was on Jesus like, what the hell? Yes, that's right. In 1907, a young girl was born. Her name was Catherine. She was born to these parents. And she wasn't very physically attractive. At the age of 14, she gave her life to Jesus in a church where she was sobbing uncontrollably. She encountered God. At the age of 17, she and her sister decided to travel to preach the message of Jesus all around the United States. They stationed themselves not very far from here in a, in a state uh, nearby Boise, Idaho. And then a particular time her ministry started to grow. She started to see people come to know Jesus Christ and become saved. At one particular revival she meets this man who was a very influential speaker, very charismatic, very good looking. They fell in love. Little did she know he was a married man. And then eventually he divorced his wife and married her. Under wedding this young lady Catherine who knew she made a mistake marrying him. On the honeymoon actually the first day of their wedding she ran quickly to her bridesmaids and spent the night there sobbing saying I made a mistake but of course she was married so she had to live with him she lived with him and things were not going well and, and then things just went really really bad until one day she decided to leave this man and she surrendered she gave up completely and went to this particular road and she said I give up my life completely to God and I died million deaths and then she started her ministry again but because of the scandal and because of the divorce and because of the being married to a man who wasn't fully divorced yet her ministry, ministry shattered completely you know it's not like today where people have a little bit more compassion to cases like this this was a hundred years ago and people were very rude and people were very judgmental and and very dimi diminishing toward her but she still continued to preach a woman preaching a hundred years ago that was a huge big deal a divorced woman preaching a hundred years ago was almost unacceptable but God was with her God started to give her grace her ministry started to reach other people she started to regain the momentum until one service a lady came and says I want to share a testimony and she said she said last night as you were praying for salvation I got healed of tumor and she says I went to the doctor today and he this is my medical report and this lady Catherine who was initially just preaching salvation now started to encourage people and pray for healing the next week the next service it was a US veteran World War one veteran he was legally blind and he was healed and then every service God started to heal people through her and most of us know her now as this amazing woman of God whom God used and when she was asked the question why did God choose you? You're a woman. 
you have a terrible past frankly you're not best looking they told her that and she said I asked God the same question and this is what God told me I called other men but they declined so I called you and she said I didn't take this personally that I wasn't God's first choice but I responded unlike other people and therefore God used me I want to tell you something about the calling of God the Bible says God's calling is irrevocable what we usually think is this is that if God called you that's it you can do whatever you want and the calling will be always on your life actually it's not your calling that's irrevocable God's calling is irrevocable means God will always find someone to do what he called you to do if you refuse to when Esau despised his birthright Jacob picked it up even though he wasn't qualified for it when when Mordecai came to Esther and said Esther God called you to be right now a savior to your generation and he said this and if you remain silent God's calling is irrevocable God will find someone else when Judas he didn't he didn't honor the calling of God in his life to be a disciple to be an apostle he played games with it we know Matthias stepped in and took care of that calling we know a man who who wasn't faithful with one talent that talent left him and talent went to someone else I am not trying to in any way inject any fear in us but I want us to live life honoring the call of God because God's calling is irrevocable you and I are expendable when you despise a calling of God on your life God goes on to someone else and sometimes less qualified less connected less gifted less better looking than you sometimes somebody with a stained past but God says my calling on this earth will be done with you or without you and that always reminds me that this the church our church will survive without me I won't survive without the church you can cut my finger and my hand will still be fine but my finger will rotten the body of Christ will make it without no matter how talented no matter how great no matter how powerful you are the body of Jesus Christ will do just fine it did it just fine without you but you need the body of Christ your calling from God is irrevocable it means God wants you to honor that calling God wants you to respect the calling my, my wife worked in post office and she was a sub in post office and one of the things they did is if she couldn't make it the, the mail was still be delivered they would have next person on the list that they would call if the next person on the list wouldn't pick up the call they will call the next person until they will call they will find somebody but the, your mail will be delivered it might not be by your regular male man or male woman but it will be delivered that's exactly how God sees this world God will deliver whatever he needs to deliver to this world but God calls you and me first and that's why it's very important that we honor the call of God in our life by thus we are honoring the Lord can somebody say amen I want you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12 and it speaks of Jesus it said and he himself gave some to be apostles some prophets some evangelists some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ now we know that studying the Bible that there is three types of gifts there is the gifts of the father which are the gifts of operation it's the gifts given to every human being we call them natural talents 
there is the gifts of Jesus which we read here they're called ministry gifts these gifts are given to specific people not everyone has them Jesus gives them to specific people now everyone can prophesy everyone can evangelize everyone can shepherd other people everyone can teach everyone can do these things but their specific office of a pastor office or a calling of a bishop of a prophet of evangelist and these things there's the gifts of Jesus they're the ministry gifts and the third set of gifts is the gifts of the Holy Spirit these are also spiritual gifts given to all the believers for building up of the faith and spreading of the message of Jesus Christ and so right now I want us to just focus just a little bit on what the gifts of Jesus are given for it says the gifts of Jesus are the apostles the prophets we see the evangelists we see the prophet do we see the teachers and we see also the pastors what for for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry so the Bible reveals in here my job I'm a pastor speaking to you right now and God also reveals in here your job and so it's very clear that we find out what is our job my job is to tell you you're a saint your job is to do ministry the sermon is over <laughs> let's go do our job <laughs> but since I have few points let me share a little bit more why I believe in what the Bible says your number one calling is God calls you a saint I believe many people don't do ministry because they don't accept the calling of God that they are saints the calling of God is not to do it's to be and if you don't accept the calling of God to be a saint you will always struggle with doing the calling of God to do the ministry why do people say things like I'm not a saint then you're not a Christian according to the Bible you are a saint now according to Catholic tradition you become a saint after you die and after your minute your ministry has been influencing the world and there has to be at least one miracle about your life and then the Vatican decides whether you are a saint and I respect the tradition that is a good tradition that is a good that is a good thing but the Bible in here says you're not a saint when you die you're not a saint because Vatican decides you're a saint the Bible says in here that God sends you a pastor to remind you you are a a saint somebody say I'm a saint oh my goodness did you just say that say it again I'm a saint stop saying this I'm not a saint we need to stop sending this people your friends can say that why because they're not saints you are a saint and God's called me to remind you you are a saint your number one calling that you should never despise is the who you are in Jesus Christ why do people not believe they're saints I'll give you a few reasons number one reason why people believe they're not saints is traditional teaching which says you're a saint when you die or which says the more you feel bad about yourself the better you actually are you are a weak worm of the dust 
if you walk in God you always have to come down beating your chest and you have to walk around always feeling horrible about yourself because you are not good enough you're a sinner that is a traditional teaching and that is in fact some bits are true but at the same time the New Testament teaches us differently Jesus teaches us that we are saints and we don't stick with tradition we stick with what the Lord says religion will tell you what you are not the devil will tell you what you are not tradition will tell you what you are not but Jesus tells you who you are you are accepted you are righteous you are new creation you are God's child you are a masterpiece you are fearfully and wonderfully made you are a saint if you don't accept this calling you will not accept the second one which is to minister the second reason why we don't we believe we're not saints is because of our past mistakes everyone in here has done things they're not proud of when we share our testimony we usually share unless you're Maria and she shared everything it was powerful but a lot of us share our testimony that deals with our situation that we were involved in but we are embarrassed to admit our limitations that we still have because situation is something that everybody feels bad for you they feel they feel like oh yes yes but limitation is the thing that we are embarrassed about it's the things you pray about and you watch and make sure nobody around you is nearby so they don't hear you talking to God about this issue that only you and God know you got and this causes us not to feel like a saint let me remind you on purpose God started the New Testament in the first chapter of the first book in Matthew when he described this boring genealogy that most of us think is completely irrelevant he mentioned four women in there only four and no they were not Sarah, Rachel and Rebecca they were not the good women of the Bible these were the most messed up women God found in the Bible one of them was Rahab, one of them was Tamar, one of them was Ruth who came from Moab and one of them was Bathsheba. It doesn't get as messed up as that. And God on purpose, not only he, he saved them in the Old Testament, God exposed them, put them on a stage that if you read the New Testament, you meet these women who are messed up in their past and God doesn't just show them off, he includes them in genealogy of Jesus. Why? To tell every person, every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. having a past does not make you not a saint it makes you a saint who has become a saint because of the blood of Jesus not because of your good works and not because of your efforts any saints we have in the house this morning let's give Jesus a round of applause for redeeming us from our past for cleansing our past by his blood and by his word can somebody say hallelujah and somebody say praise the Lord come on let's put our hands together for the Lord for redeeming us from our past the third reason why we don't feel like we are saints is because of labels of people many people in here will not believe they're saints is because somebody told you you're not good enough people tend to label us based on their own projection and their own pain it's interesting when God met Abraham the first thing God did with Abraham is he changed his name what is your name your name is something somebody gives to you when you are born 
it's given usually by you know by different criteria. in the old testament it was given if you came out screaming they called you the screaming one if you caused people laugh when you were conceived you will call the laughter if you caused holding a brother's heel you were called a supplanter and so what happened is that labels were given based on your behavior and when God met people he would remove the labels and put them new labels it's surprising because Abraham Abraham does not mean anything bad it just means the glorious father but God said it's not good enough even a good label is never good enough in the eyes of a perfect father and God came to Abraham and he says Abraham I know that's what your dad called you but listen I am your God and I'm gonna call you Abraham which is the father of many nations your label is gonna reflect your destiny not your history not what people said about you but what I see about your future you have to learn to remove labels not only God did that with Abraham he did that with Sarah he did that with Jacob Jesus did that with Peter and he's gonna do that with you when you come to Jesus and you have put a label on yourself people have put a label upon you you're sloppy you're a failure you never amount to anything you're not good you're slow you're ugly you're this you're sick you're weak you're perverted you're full of lust you're full of this you're a cheater you're a divorced person you're an adulterer you've done all of this stuff you are not educated person you'll never amount to anything you're bad with your money all of these labels when you come to God many times they begin to cover your sainthood and God wants you to remove the labels and put on his word and his word sets you free come on somebody the fourth reason why we believe like we're not saints is because of current temptation it's of the things you are currently being tempted with now the problem with temptation is it makes you feel like you're committing sin temptation when you are tempted you actually feel dirty and the trick of temptation is to convince you that just because you're tempted to smoke, you're a smoker. Because you're tempted to look at porn, you're a porn addict. Because you're tempted to drink, you're an alcoholic. Because you're tempted with something, it doesn't make you a sinner. Jesus was tempted to worship God. To worship Satan, I'm sorry. Think about it. Have you ever been tempted to worship Satan? No. I've been tempted with stuff and things that I'm embarrassed to admit but I have never ever been tempted to worship Satan if Jesus was tempted to worship Satan and he still remain a saint you're no losses no less a saint just because you get tempted with stuff and the devil will convince you that just because he tempts you and you're tempted that now makes you somehow less of a saint the devil is a liar and God is true and you're a saint being tempted does not mean you have sinned it just means you got tempted and you tell yourself if my savior was tempted and he still was holy listen I am tempted and I'm still holy not holier than thou I'm just holier than I used to be because of the blood because of the cross I am a saint and if you people walk around and we make a mistake and you, you justify it to your friends I'm not a saint don't say that you catch yourself you hear somebody in our church say I am not a saint correct them or lead them through sinner's prayer <laughs> because I accept the calling of God he calls me into something high after that now I can accept the assignment from God 
in what he calls me to do in this world I want you to remember the verse that we read God calls the pastors to equip the saints now let me tell you something from the beginning you can't equip someone who walks in insecurity inferiority and with a polluted mindset that I'm no good you can't equip them and if you will they'll ruin the job not because of their skill set but because of their mindset the second truth that I want you to see today not only I'm a saint but I am a minister I am a minister let's practice this say I am a minister I want you to say it again I'm a minister say I'm a saint and then I'm a minister turn to your neighbor say I'm a saint you ask him you probably knew that <laughs> turn to your other neighbor and say I'm a minister now this doesn't make you a reverend this does not mean you're a preacher this does not mean that you have to sing this doesn't mean that you have to be in a full-time ministry this also does not mean that you have to preach for a living this does not mean that it just simply means that you are the one that is serving other people this doesn't mean that you have to hold a pulpit or you have to hold a microphone this does not mean that you have to be even a small group leader it just simply means that now when you know who you are God can entrust you with doing things for his kingdom and spreading his kingdom on this earth by making you a minister it's important to point something out that everything you do for God is not a stepping stone to something greater even though when you're faithful in small things God usually opens the door for greater things when you're faithful with Sunday school when you're faithful with being an usher being a host being a greeter when you're faithful in switching the slides when you're faithful with playing music when you're faithful with preaching anything you're faithful with qualifies you for greater opportunity and also your reward in heaven but it's important to understand many people have reserved their most passion and their excellence into the greater things they'll do for God in the future and many times they squander with a very careless attitude small little things that are presented to them and if they keep squandering them those things eventually will never lead them to anything greater let me remind you David was called to be a king but he entered the palace as a musician if he would flunk as a musician he would never be a general and then he would never lead a nation God gives you a blueprint of your future but he never leads you to your future without giving you small assignments which you will always be tempted to do carelessly always and there lies your character how you do small things reveals a lot about the size of your character more then it reveals about the size of the opportunity you're involved in. I love what Steve Jobs said. He said things don't have to be, things don't have to change the world for them to be important. How you do something is how you do everything. If you were asked to volunteer and if you're late, bad attitude, cannot work with others, do just minimum, it's usually not something you do only here it's usually something you do also at your work and it's usually something you do also at other places if during the service you're constantly distracted with your phone it's not the sermon is not the problem you the problem because you do exactly the same thing on the road 
and same thing on your date with your wife and same thing you do at home because that only reveals a character flaw that needs to be addressed and it's easy to shift a blame for lack of excellence lack of putting a heart and soul into something because you're saying it's not significant it doesn't change the world in reality but it reveals your world it reveals your character and it gives you the opportunity to take responsibility for that character and do something with excellence with passion i believe the the lowest positions in the church require the best people I believe the most anointing is needed in the places where they, they don't get a lot of spotlight. That's why our guys who are anointed to preach, anointed to heal the sick, I ask them if they cannot lead kids to salvation, if they cannot heal the kids, if they cannot teach the kids and kids don't understand them, we will not give them a microphone. Why? They have nothing to say. If you're too big for the towel, you're too small for the throne. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to reign. God uses the small things to shape our character and thus bring us to greater things but our eyes are not on greater things our eyes are on everything we do we do as unto the Lord can somebody say amen why we don't minister why less and less people serve why 20% of the church always does 80% of the work I think I have a, a clue the first reason I believe that many people don't work for the Lord and don't minister for the Lord is they think ministry is a pastor's job. It's a traditional perspective that says we pay the pastor and pastor leaves us alone. Feeds us on Sunday with a message that gets us through the whole week and then we pay him again and he does exactly the same thing and we have the problem he better be the one to answer the call. If we have something going on he needs to be in the hospital he needs to do the funeral he needs to do the weddings and that is a traditional view of what the pastor is supposed to do but let me tell you again tradition is not always the scripture the bible says in the scripture the job of the pastor is to make sure the saints know their saints and make sure they know their ministers that means god has called you and me as the body to be the ministers not just the clergy no wonder in North America, 85% of all churches are under 200 in attendance. Because churches today are ran by tradition, not the scripture. Including our church. Churches are ran like mom and pop's shop. When mom and pop, they open the shop, they do all the work, they run the books, they hire a part-time person only to be there when they go on the vacation. They sweep everything, they cook everything, they sell everything, they do everything and they're the ones that close it at 11 o'clock. They can never make it into a franchise and they serve limited amount of people but they serve quality. And, mar and marketplaces like or supermarket like Walmart and others, they serve billions of people every single day because it's not based on one person doing everything. It, the workload is spread through everyone doing their part and more people are reached and more people are served. I'm going to tell you something. The vision of our church is thousands locally and millions globally. But the structure of our church has to be for thousands locally and millions globally. Right now, my voice reaches the overflow. And I can see some people all the way in the overflow. My voice reaches there. They're waving at me. My voice actually reaches to people right now watching who are not in America on live stream. But my hand can only reach this. Every church will only grow to the level of care they can provide. 
we can prophesy thousands locally and millions globally every single service and we will but what limits us is our not our vision it's our reach because if our reach is dependent and the church sees the pastor as the primary caregiver for the church members that thing that happens is the church limits its future serving and reaching by that traditional perspective scriptural perspective says otherwise that God wants to church each person to reach their hands out and begin to serve every single person do you know that over 90 percent of pastoral care is actually just care it doesn't require a pastor most of the things that people need help with they just need someone to care not someone with a title and many times we feel like I can't be providing pastoral care I can't mentor someone I can't disciple someone why because I, I'm not a pastor listen it doesn't require a title it requires to care and you can care even if you don't have a title if we want our church to go to 500 a thousand 2000 now this is not about numbers this is about not just increasing the size and the length of our volume but our reach and us serving the shift has to happen is the people in our church have to step up to their calling from God that is to minister can someone say amen, amen. if we don't do that we will see just about this size but the large stadiums are not going to be because the people don't come to church to hear a good sermon they come to church because they get cared for they get attended they get connected to and one person cannot do that on their own two people five people cannot do that on their own what could happen is when the body begins to connect with the body I know the fear of having a large church one of the reasons many people even are here today and they tell me that is because people say I love to be in a church where everybody knows everybody when we present the idea of having two services some people have a panic attack that means I won't be able to see everybody people won't be able to see me the goal is not for everybody to know everybody the goal is for everybody to be known the goal is for everybody to be known practically speaking in this facility right now over 200 people you don't know everybody and everybody don't know you and the further we're gonna go it's gonna become less and less and that shouldn't frighten us because our vision to reach more people and serve more people is our motivation not staying comfortable or staying small can somebody say amen the second reason I believe that many people don't serve and don't minister is they say ministry burned me out I was serving before I am tired of it ministry burned me out and honestly ministry can burn you out ministries could be tiring ministry could be exhausting I'm going to share something that has become a source of strength for me you must understand one thing is that your motive fuels your motivation your motive fuels your motivation if you lose motivation it's typically because something shifted with your motive everyone begins to minister with a pure motive I want to serve God I want to save people I want to heal people I want to bring people to Jesus and everything we start with the pure motive in the beginning I want to lead people into the presence of God I want to create the best welcoming environment I want to start a ministry to help the hurting and everything but along the line people can be funny 
people can hurt you people can backbite you Matthew Barnett said if you want to be a bridge to a dying world don't be afraid when people get walked when you get walked upon Jesus was called to minister to the people and they put him on the cross sometimes people change their mind and sometimes it's not people they could be very difficult it's the results are not coming revival isn't coming you were expecting that you will be further now than before and the fire begins to die out why because the motive in the beginning now begins to be adjusted to something else called revival people salvation now these things are results they're not our cause a revelation that shook my life is when I realized Jesus did not, die, did not die on the cross because he loved me. Jesus died on a cross because he loved his father. You don't see Jesus telling Nicodemus, for I so love the world that I will die on the cross. He said the father loves so world that he sent me. And when Jesus was faced with the cross and his guys left him, he didn't say, Lord, you know how much I want to die for these disciples. Lord, you just know my heart. I just can't wait to be crucified today, God. This is my heart jumping out of joy to have the nails. No, he said, Father, not my will be done. Meaning, I don't want to do it. These guys don't need it. They don't want it. They all left me. Judas went psycho. Mark left his clothing, ran naked. Jesus, Father, they don't even think they need this, but your will be done you know why he went to the cross because of his father not because of his disciples oh don't get me wrong he loved his disciples the bible says a friend gives his life for a friend that's the ultimate love but sometimes when life gets tough and ministry gets tough you have to go back to why are you doing it you're not doing it for the people you're doing it for the lord That's why Paul said, he says, do everything as you do unto the Lord. Yes, people always benefit from that. But sometimes people can put you in a tight situation where honestly you just want to drop it. And this is where people who do it for people will always quit. I know one thing, if you do ministry for people, you will quit. But if you do ministry for the Lord, people will change. Those people who left you will come back. Those people who said stuff, they'll change. And if they won't, it won't affect you. Why? Because you were not doing it for them in the first place. The third reason that I find why many people don't minister is because ministry is hard. This is what they say. Ministry is hard. It's hard if you say it's hard. It's hard if you believe it's hard. It's a privilege but you can reduce it to a pressure. My wife recently quit her job and she came to work at the church as a volunteer so when I come to church she comes to church and she does as a normal worker at the church except she does it as a volunteer it's been her dream since we got married she wanted to serve and wanted to be in ministry the first time she told me that I said you're crazy you have no idea what you're asking almost the same reply when the mother of John and and, uh, and the other disciple came to Jesus says we, I want my sons to sit on your right and on your left and Jesus says you're nuts woman <laughs> no idea what you're asking so I told her that from the beginning but she reassured me of this she said my dad was a pastor in Moscow I know how ministry works it's not bed of roses and I said trust me this ain't Moscow <laughs> this is this is this is not that easy and so but this is Pasco not Moscow I knew I had a wrapping a gift in me <laughs> And so about a few weeks into it, 
I remember we having a conversation and she was very very distraught and just very discouraged and I asked her what's going on and she said I'm tired and I said from what she said from ministry and I said already I said, it's only been two months or, or it's only excuse me it's only been two weeks and she said she said I, I want to go back she's like I, I don't want to do this this is this is exhausting and I'm like what's so exhausting about it she told me something that I didn't realize about ministry she said with my job when I was done I could turn it off this never turns off he said you turn off the phone the minute she doesn't turn off he said this stuff is exhausting and she asked me the question she said you've been doing this since a teenager what made you keep going why are you still passionate for it and I told her this when our ministry wasn't growing and things were very hard and very tough at one particular time I was actually looking for a job already never had a job it's kind of weird to admit <laughs> my uncles still make fun of me they say Vlad when are you gonna get a real job <laughs> I don't know never had a real job I worked at the church from the beginning and I remember applying and I'm like what will I put in a resume and and I couldn't find a courage to apply for the job and at that most painful moment in my life I remember I made up my mind that it's a privilege to serve God even if I never see revival I made up my mind to serve God is an honor even if I never see breakthrough and I started to tell that to myself every single day whether the church was small either what was happening that this I am most blessed man on this planet because I'm able to do something for the Lord and then I hear testimony of people who serve the devil and I said oh Lord Jesus thank you it's a privilege to serve you because you treat better your service than Satan treats his his slaves and when I told it to my wife and I said listen sooner or later you're gonna have to come up not salary not the influence not even the revival can compensate for a made-up mind that serving God is a privilege yes you get underpaid yes you get over criticized yes there is pressure but if you make up your mind that serving God is an honor serving God is a privilege listen you will be always happy revival will be moving around you and even if it doesn't you will remain calm when disciples were beaten for Jesus and the Bible says they walked out of jail rejoicing why were they rejoicing because Peter had a prophetic dream that those people who beat him will get saved no why were they rejoicing that the revival was coming to Jerusalem no Titus was coming and is going to demolish Jerusalem they were rejoicing because they thought it was an honor to suffer for Jesus and I see it as an honor to preach the word of God I see it as an honor to greet people and welcome them I see it as an honor to invite friends to church I see it as an honor to bring my tithes to church. I see it as an honor to volunteer my gifts and, and my finances and my resources. Why? Because God who died on the cross for me naked, for me a wretched sinner and made me a saint, saint, now I can live for him. I see that as an honor. When you make up your mind like that, I'm going to tell you something. Ministry will always be fun. His yoke will be easy and his burden will be light at one time God punished Israelites and he said this he said because you don't serve me with gladness of heart I'll let you serve your enemies I don't want to be that person I want to serve God in America with the gladness of heart whatever the politics strife the NFL and the war and all of this stuff and the little rocket man what's going on over there that's their business but me serving God today is a privilege somebody say amen I ask you to you change your attitude don't see ministry even if you got burned by the ministry even if you got betrayed 
even if what you did went unappreciated and you were blackmailed with stuff and maybe you came to church today and you said I've done worship before I preached before I went evangelizing before. I've done that I know how church folk treat me if you have that kind of an attitude what you seek you'll find you'll find this in this church exactly same people you'll find exactly the same issue but if you change your attitude you'll change your outcome if you change your mind you will change what will be attracted to you because your attitude is a magnet that attracts those things to you in this church you can find it a very welcoming place where you grow and you flourish not because people are awesome you are awesome you attract those things and somebody say amen when Nazis were killing Jews and they would load them up like a herd of animals and the wagons and take him to Auschwitz in those gas chambers there was one church that the church was right beside the train the train the train tracks just like our church is beside the highway and this church was always disturbed because the train was coming by when they had a service and it wasn't the sound of the train that was causing this church to be disturbed it's the people on the train were screaming because these were Jews they would scream hysterically because they knew they were approaching their death and this particular church decided to when they would hear the train to rise and sing very loud as they would hear the screams of people they would sing even louder louder until the screams would be no more after a few years when the everything was over the church decimated dissolved and one man was in America he heard a sermon of a pastor and he got up and confronted the pastor in front of the whole congregation and he told the whole story he said he said we tried to silence the scream of the hurting people by singing our song so loud he says the the war is over the Jews are freed and he said but the screams of those people still haunts us at night our world around us is hurting we may not hear their screams but we see it on Facebook we see it on YouTube we see it on the news it's so important that the church doesn't become an insider club where we crank up the church programs just so that we can avoid the world it's so important that how we do church doesn't become for an insider club where new people that walk in they feel completely isolated and we comfort ourselves in the fact we sing very loud at the same time when the church was doing this there was a businessman there and some of you heard the story his name was Asuka Asuka Schindler he was a businessman he was very corrupt when he heard the Jews were being moved from their cities into a ghetto he quickly found a business opportunity he wasn't interested to help them he wanted to make money he knew their money will be worth nothing and so he quickly gathered their elders and took their money from them and says instead of giving you profits back I'll give you some pots I'll give you some things he was just after one thing to make money he would hire these people business was booming things were doing great and everything until one day horse riding he saw a atrocity he saw the Nazis he saw them hurting Jewish people he saw them throwing them out of the house shooting them randomly just for no reason for fun he saw children being shot on the streets he saw their possessions being dethroned and something snapped inside of him something changed 
a corrupt businessman instead of just making money he went to the generals and started to bribe generals so that he can have Jews working for him so that they will not be killed he bribed them with big money left and right guards and everybody just so he can start helping the Jews and when the time came and his factory was closed down by the government and they were shipping up his Jews to Auschwitz to be burned at the gas he started to bribe them with all the money he had so he can keep his Jews and move them to another city to open another factory he bribed for about a thousand two hundred Jews to be moved to another factory the problem was that half of them were men half of them were women men arrived at another factory women the train never got the memo and women end up in Auschwitz out of money he already saved over 600 people and the rest of the women are going to be burned and he went start looking for diamonds looking for anything he could find go to every general a Jewish man a Jewish man and Nazi men trying to rescue Jews and he found enough diamonds found enough bribes and got those women right before they got burned at his factory and that's how he saved a thousand 200 lives it's interesting at the same time church sing loud songs some corrupt men saved thousands of people today over 8,500 people are alive because of that businessman's purpose to save people I have a little clip and we're gonna pray I know the services went a little bit further than usual I want you to look at your, look at the screen and watch this clip and then we're going to pray. Turn off the lights. It's Hebrew from the Talmud. It says whoever saves one life saves the world entire. Good, what about 
this car. Why did I keep the car? Ten people right there. Ten people. Ten more people. This pin. Two people. This is gold. Two more people. You would have given me two for At least one. You would have given me one. One more. One more person. And so the call. I want us to be a church that when we die, and we will, that we live with purpose, not regret. My friend once said, you're either a missionary or a mission field. No middle ground. I want us to be missionaries in Pasco, in Kenwick, in Richland, in our cities. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Hungry Generation. Stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat by using at HungryGen. Stay blessed, and we'll see you next week.